Again, thank you all very much for your practice uh, today. Uh, I know it hasn't been easy, in part because of the heat and the humidity. But today, we would say in Burma, this was a cool day. (laughs) But when I first went there to the monastery, I'd always lived in New England, in Maine, Massachusetts, and I happened to go in December, which is the best time to go to Burma. It's about like summertime here. And uh, it's cool time. And then it gets hotter about by the end of February, and then March is just really toasty. And April is just unbearable, scorching, you know, 100 degree day and night. You cannot stay outside. You always have to use a parasol, uh, like an umbrella. And the rains, the monsoon comes about the third week of May, but you've got to get through April in the first couple of weeks of May. But at that time, I was in intensive practice. I started in December, so I had January, February, March. I was just in the middle of my, my progress uh, practice, so I had good mindfulness, good enough to really see things in very minute, pixelated, intensely magnified view, but not enough to be very balanced in my relationship to it. So <laughs> it's a maximum dukkha. We call it the real, <laughs> it's the real dukkha phase of practice. Everything is really unsatisfactory. But you have to learn this. You have to learn about dukkha. So it was so hot. I was staying in a, uh, a, a hostel for, for foreigners. And uh, I had my own room. I wasn't a monk yet. I was still a lay person. So I could get by with just wearing a lungi. And um, I would take a shower, a dip shower. You know, they don't have running water. They, a dip shower where you splash. Uh, every... Just before every sitting, if I go out and wouldn't even dry off, just go sit, you know, with just a little little piece of cloth here in case anybody came by, just and then sit. In about three minutes, I was completely dry, and in about another three minutes, I started to sweat. And I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to sweating. I know here it's 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 hard not to notice, but when you when you when your skin is completely dry, eh? and then you sweat, you know, when a little bead of water comes out of the body and kind of appears on the surface of the skin, it's like somebody sticks you with a pin, like, and every drop is like getting stick with a pin. But, you know, you can't stop it. You know, you're just, your mindfulness, your mindfulness is seeing things that precisely. So it's just like, first you're cool, then you're dry, then you start getting hot, then you start getting tormented with these little stinging, stinging little sweat balls <laughs> all over. <laughs> Real duke, really bad. But what, do you, what can you do? You can't get away, there's no air conditioning. You know? So you just sit there, so you're just covered with sweat, and then it just drips, and by the time it's dripping, that's a relief. You know, it's no more, no more pinpricks. And I was reminded how uh, the first the first hot season in Burma was just just unbearable, you know, just absolutely unbearable. And I was talking to uh, a woman today, um, who was just speaking with someone in Burma from from Burma. Uh, she just finished a six month retreat, where there was twenty two hundred people 
for six months. Over a hundred days were over a hundred degrees. And when they sat in the, in the hall, they were knee to knee, front to back. And when they slept at night, they were head to toe. Everyone, 2,200 people. We got it, we got it good here. <laughs> not, 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 it's, it's bad, but not so bad. Huh? So, after I had been practicing in Burma uh, for, for about four, four and a half years, I decided to go to Thailand where I could be in the forest. So I asked somebody to find me a forest place and I was taken to the to uh, a forest monastery where I didn't know anybody. And I was taken to this little cottage out in the forest that, honest, we wouldn't put our tools in. You know, it's up on stilts, about five feet high, and it's just just a few boards tacked together with a tin roof. And it was hot during the day and freezing cold at night in the jungle, freezing cold. But uh, there were so many animals, you know, there were, there were bats flying around, no electricity, you know, only had candles. So when I would sit at night, the bats would fly through the window and I could feel the, you know, the, the wings go by, you know, and there were geckos and jungle chickens and owls. It was just... I had a lot of companions. Anyway, that was, it was wonderful. Nobody to speak English to is really great. But at this monastery, we only went on alms round uh, at 6.30 in the morning. We come back at 8, and we would finish eating by 8, and then I had the rest of the day to myself. Now, in this village, it was way out there, and uh, they grew tapioca, which as a root, the tuber root is kind of like starchy potato or something. And so every day on alms round, I would get these starchy potato chunks and ground up meat with green stuff in it. And that's it every day, every day. Occasionally, you know, somebody would have a real treat, barbecued frog. <laughs> and it was like the frog was just like, you know, smacked out on a stick, barbecued, <laughs> st stuck in my bowl. I, I, I shared that with the other monks. I, I didn't eat that one. But, you know, when you get sticky rice, heavy starch, and ground up meat, that's all you get for one meal a day, well, you eat a lot. So I would eat all I needed for the day, all that I could stand. So I'd eat, and then, done for the day, I'd walk back to my kuti, my cottage, and nobody around, and the sun is just coming up at 8 o'clock. So it's hot, and I've just eaten a whole day's worth of food. <laughs> this is a recipe for sloth <laughs> and torpor. <laughs> a really hard practice. So I said, you know, if I sit down, it's just such a short distance from sitting <laughs> to lying. Now, so I said, I have to stand up. So I would see where the sun cast the shadow of the kuti on the ground. And I couldn't stand under the kuti because it was too short. But I could stand just next to it uh, in the shade and stay out of the sun while I digested my food. So I would usually stand for uh, two or three hours while I'm digesting. But 
in the shade is where the flies are. <laughs> so I had to have a little tea towel, you know, because the monk's robes end in the middle of your calf going down. And then you have just your bare feet. So I had this tea towel that I would, you know, standing, standing, and then the flies would be crawling all over my feet. So flick, 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 like a horsetail, flick, flick, skittish the flies, skitter the flies away. And standing, standing, flick, flick, standing, flick, flick, standing, standing, flick, flick. And then one day I was standing and I felt something on my foot that didn't feel like a fly. <laughs> so I looked down. And there was a big snake. Now, I think, I think it was only about four or five feet long, but it, 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 it felt like it was about 20 feet long. And it, it wouldn't have been so bad if it was just a snake. But a, a week or so before that, someone had come to the monastery showing us a 12-foot long snake skin. So I knew there were 12-foot long snakes in this jungle around here. So this, this, this snake, when I opened my eyes and saw it, I, I moved without noticing the intention to move. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so did it. Because it, it felt me move, and then it, it went off. But instead of just going fast into the jungle, it went to the nearest post of the cottage and climbed it. Now I realize that even though you're off the jungle floor, up on the post, snakes can crawl up post. I never had a problem with sleepiness after that. <laughs> so sometimes I think, you know, when we have difficulty with sleepiness and when it gets hot and you get sleepy, we should have a snake here. <laughs> We should just have a snake that just kind of roams around the room. <laughs> just, just keeps people alert. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a poisonous snake. <laughs> just a snake. <laughs> because we wouldn't be sleepy. We would really be alert. Yeah? Anyway, the joys of the Dharma. As Ajahn Chah said, the Dharma is there to teach you in everything. Every rock, every tree, every snake, <laughs> every fly, there's a lesson there. Because you see, you get to see your own mind. You, know, you get to see your own mind. And that's, that's where the work is, dealing with your own mind, your own reactions to the temperature, the weather, the rocks, the people, the snakes, the animals, everything. You know? And just because it's, it's unpleasant and miserable, and, you know, that's okay. You still get to watch your mind. If there's any opportunity for your mind to suffer, you want to find it. Because then you, can, then you can uproot it from your mind. And once you uproot the reaction of, you know, whinging and whining and pissing and moaning and, you know, irritation. And, and once you, irrit once you ir uh, uproot that from your mind, nothing bothers you. Then you can, you can be anywhere, in any condition, with equanimity. Think about that. Anywhere, at any time, under any conditions, no problem. That's where practice is taking us. So if you spend some time whinging and whining about something today, that's good. That's good. You know, because you'll realize that's suffering and you'll learn how to uproot that from your mind.
enjoy your enjoy your sleep <laughs>